sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You have to understand in Venezuela, gun ownership is not something that is open to everybody. So if the military have the guns, they have the power. And as long as Nicolas Maduro controls the military, he controls the country. Joe Biden was there for the issue. He was there for the time that um, the Chinese built the stationary islands in the South China Sea, which are essentially aircraft carriers. They've put military radars on it, put military combat planes on them. Uh, and so Joe Biden's got a lot to answer for. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. We are slamming and jamming. Lots to talk about. Lots and lots of news and information for you. I want to point to our first guest of the show. We're going to be speaking with Carmine Sabia. He's a political and cultural commentator, frequent guest in the program. He's going to come on and talk to us about Facebook banning a number of individuals who are on the right side of the political spectrum. They may or may not be people that you agree with politically or in any way viewpoint, but there are famous names and there's a quite a list of them. They've just recently been booted off of Facebook. One of these individuals is Louis Farrakhan and he's been grouped in with uh, what they call right wing people who've been banned from Facebook. Now you might be thinking, well, you know, Louis Farrakhan is a purveyor of, of really horrible content, and he is. Um, he's anti-Semitic. He's, he's really, he, he's quite the piece of worked goods. But he has, on a freedom of speech type thing, the right to put his views out there, right? And if he's not going to be allowed to put his views out there um, where everyone else is, and People on the left who put out fringe type views, the Antifa groups, they're still there. They're not being banned. If some people get to have free speech and other people don't because their speech is offensive, then we have a violation of the First Amendment. And we're talking about speech that we don't like. I hate Farrakhan's speech. I I hate the things that he says. But we're in America. So if I'm offended by his speech, if I feel he's lying, he's not telling the truth, I don't have the right to shut him down on a neutral public platform. You can complain about what he's saying, but you can't just say he doesn't deserve to be there. Free speech is only for, you know, for me and not for thee. So we'll have a conversation with Carmine about that. Interesting that he's being characterized as someone who's on the right. Notice how they do that. Like when, um, when the, the stuff broke off and, and actually this has happened so many times, we don't have any one singular example, but Remember when Governor Northam came out with his comments and his blackface and all that, and, and, and he was at the top of the news for his abortion, infanticide, justifying comments, and then they found the blackface photos? Well, CNN originally characterized him as a far-right, uh, in other words, a, a Republican uh, governor. And then they went on to correct it, but after everyone had already seen it. So in other words, they they painted him as someone on the right. So there are people around the country here in America, who saw that on CNN, who believed that Governor Northam is a Republican. He's not. He's not anywhere near close to a Republican, but that is what they do. So the idea that Louis Farrakhan is somehow on the right, I mean, he would laugh at that. He would have one of his fiery speeches from his Islamic pulpit over that. But that's what they're saying about him. So uh, here we are now. Um, I want to get into this comment by Joe Biden. Now that he's a viable candidate, which I I have something I want to point out about him after we listen to this audio. 
he's now starting to lay out his ideas about different things. Um, you know, what does he believe on this? What does he believe on that? Now, this is super, super important for us to kind of unpack because he's going to start to lay these things out and try to rewrite history just a little bit. He's got the Obama years that he has to kind of work his way through. And it's not going to be easy for him because the Obama years were not successful foreign policy wise. It, it was a disaster. So now he's got to kind of lay out his own incoming doctrine, if you will, because he hopes to be the president of the United States. So the first thing he wants to do is decouple any kind of fear that Americans have that China is a rising power, that it's a threat to our hegemony around the world, and that it has interest in supplanting us as the world's primary superpower. He's got to get all of that out of the way because over the coming months, as some reporters do true investigative journalism, and as some, uh, probably mostly on the right, uh, will begin to really delve into his policy positions and his familial connections to foreign powers. We're going to see some troubling connections to China, to Russia, to uh, some of the satellite Eastern European states that were parts of, of communist Russia. We're going to see some problematic relationships. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want people to draw those connections between who he was then and who he is now because he's just looking to be your crazy Uncle Joe only from the White House this time instead of from Blair House. So he's got to start off with China. And, and it's brilliant strategy on his part, but the Internet is forever. Some Americans will be wowed by this stuff. But I want you to listen to the way, the way he's going to basically paper over any of the truths that we know about China it just – he acts as if it doesn't exist. It's number four. The fact of the matter is we can do all we need to do without punishing anybody, anybody. The reason I'm optimistic here is look at who we are. I've, known, I've met virtually every major world leader in my role as vice president and as foreign relations chairman over the last 30 years. And that's not hyperbole. Virtually every one. I don't know a single solitary one who would not change places with the problems the President of the United States has versus the problems they have. China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man. They can't even figure out how to deal with the, 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 the fact that they have this great division between the China Sea and the mountains in the east, I mean in the west. They can't figure out how they're going to deal with the corruption that exists within the system. I mean, I, you know, they're not bad folks, folks, but guess what? They're not a they're, they're not, they're competition for us. So is that the truth? Is China really not competition for us? Is this something that um, we're just kind of making up and we should, you know, stop? You know, is it something that if we look at what China's doing, um, he's telling the truth and the rest of us are just... Uh, the rest of us are just fear-mongering, if you will. Well, let me give you some information. And this, this is current up-to-the-minute stuff um, vetted by one of the uh, employees, well, one of the staffers for uh, a, sitting, uh, a sitting senator. So we've got China's goal. What is China's goal in the world right now? They want to replace the U.S. as the world's leading superpower. And that's according to FBI Director Christopher Wray. He said that in December. Um, FBI Director Ray also told lawmakers in January, because it's his job to brief uh, lawmakers on what different world powers are doing in, in, in the foreign policy arena. He said the Chinese counterintelligence threat is more deep, more diverse, more vexing, more challenging, and more comprehensive 
more concerning than any other counterintelligence threat I can think of. So that means it's a bigger deal than Russia, the magic elixir for Democrats. Just say the word Russia and watch them melt into a puddle of, of, of sweet nectar or, you know, become soft and pliable and able to hear and understand everything that you're saying. Russia, Russia, Russia. It's just something they can't let go of. China represents our greatest long-term strategic threat to a free and open Indo-Pacific and to the United States. That's Admirable Phil- Philip Admiral Philip Davidson speaking in testimony before the Senate Armed Services Committee in February. I'm, I'm running down these quotes for you because instead of me just giving you the raw data from a security studies group or someplace like that, what I'd prefer is, is these quotes from sitting leaders and experts in, out in, in the operational theater speaking about China. And so these are different testimonies that they've given outside of knowledge of each other. So it's not like they coordinated. This isn't a talking points list. This is quotes from our leadership about China. Now, remember, Joe Biden was the vice president of the United States. That means he held a top secret SCI Yankee white security clearance. And Yankee white denotes it's basically the highest you can go unless you're the president of the United States. And the president has a clearance that, I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure if we know what it's called, but it's everything. Yankee white is the step below that. That's the security clearance he held. I don't know if he went to any briefings or read any of the beautiful binders that people drop by the office, but he clearly wants you to think that the China issue is not a big deal. Yet here are our experts saying, oh, it's a big deal. Here's, here's another one. Um, this is one of the documents over at DNI.gov. China remains the most active strategic competitor responsible for cyber espionage against the U.S. government, corporations, and allies. Here's Dan Coates, intelligence chief, DNI. China had a remarkable rise in capabilities that are stunning, a significant amount of what was achieved through stealing information of our companies. Defense News has a quote. Shanahan, whose message to staff on his first day as acting secretary was China, China, China. He warns of China's growing nuclear capabilities, its interest in space-based systems, and its investments in the military over the last decade. The same time period in which we had the bower in chief, Mr. I bow to everyone and show the top of my head to everyone, even though I run a country that's never been subjugated militarily. And while he was decreasing our military effectiveness and defunding uh, updates and and repairs to our fleets and all of our, our military hardware, China's ramping up. And I, I have people who have reached out to me when I've reported on this before, very upset with me saying that I'm fear mongering and our military is the tip of the spear and it's the best and, and yada, yada, yada. I'm an Air Force veteran, fourth generation military veteran. I'm decorated. My father's decorated. It, it, this, this isn't a game to me. And I don't say things about this, the superiority that China is trying to ach- achieve at our expense lightly. It's something that I wish I didn't have to say. I wish it was true that Barack Obama was strong on military defense and that he wasn't a weasel in chief and that he had done a good job taking care of our military and making sure that they were staffed, funded and militarily, uh, you know, that all of the hardware was updated, that everything was operational, that he had that as a priority more than his obsession with gay marriage and and transgender rights and, and all of that stuff and these social experiments that he tried to foist onto our active duty service members. But that's not what happened. So I this is one of the most important things that we can do, at, you know, as a radio person disseminating information. I want you to be informed. I want you to know 
that you know that you know, and you can verify it. You can Google it for yourself. You can go to some of these military blogs. Go to starsandstripes.com. I mean, there's a whole list of places you can go and read up on our military effectiveness and whether or not we have what we need to make war. And more and more often, I'm reading articles on different websites about how different capabilities that we used to be so far advanced and so far ahead of everyone else were no longer advanced. Or that our military members during the Obama administration, I reported on this many, many times, our military members were actually going and finding old planes that were defunct and cannibalizing the equipment off of them because they couldn't get new equipment to repair our fighter jets. And that was just the Air Force. The Navy was doing the same thing. Now, it's one thing if you're, you know, you're missing something tiny like a screw, pardon me, and the requisition isn't going to get it there for a couple of weeks and you want to put a plane in the sky. And so it's something, you know, utilitarian that you're cannibalizing. But a lot of this stuff, you can't go back and cannibalize it from an older plane because the technology is such that the older plane can't give you what you need. So you've got crew chiefs out there, literally planes they can't put in the sky because they don't have the stuff they need. And I remember working on the flight line, our office was on the flight line, and I was, you know, a pencil pusher, painted nails, perfectly pressed BDUs, shiny boots. But when I would go into the aircraft hangar and the crew chiefs would show me the weapon system that, that I was reporting on, they were very, very clear about whether or not they could get parts for something, whether or not the new parts that they were getting were functioning as well as the old parts, whether changes in the way that the parts that they were receiving were crafted were having an impact on the operational capability of that weapon system. And the weapon system at the first part of my career, it was the F-16. That was the, the, I did all the data on that, whether it was ready or not, how many of them could be in the air, you know, any place on the planet in 18 minutes how many of the fleet that I was responsible for were hard broken, meaning they'd been broken for a while and they were repairing it and it still wasn't going up. And how many of them were ready, ready to rumble, ready to go up and do battle? This is an important, I mean, our military exists to maintain air, space, sea, land superiority. It's, that's what it's there for. It's not there for social experimentation. And so coming off of the Obama years, and even with the influx of cash that's been spent by our current president, we still have a long way to go to make sure we're ready to do battle against an adversary like China. And it's ridiculous that Joe Biden would even suggest that that's not the situation. But he wants to be president. (laughs) Ridiculous. All right, when we get back, we'll have Carmine Sabia. Stay right there. Here's Walker Wildman. For Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use the multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry Products were developed by AFA supporters Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. There's one who stands between the dead and the living. In the movie Armageddon, Bruce Willis plays the role of a rough-and-tumble oil well driller. He and his ragtag crew are enlisted by our government to go into space and drill a hole in a meteor that's headed for the Earth. The problem is, if they don't succeed, planet Earth will be destroyed. Well, they run into a major snag, and in order for them to accomplish the task, Willis's character makes the ultimate decision. That's right. He sacrifices his life in order to save the world. Even Hollywood sometimes stumbles onto the concept of sacrificial substitution. The other day I was reading Numbers chapter 16. The children of Israel grumbled and complained against God, and in so doing, that brought the wrath of God, the judgment of God, on them. There was a plague, and people were dying by the thousands. Numbers chapter 16, verses 48 and 49 says, And he, meaning Aaron, took his stand between the dead and the living, so that the plague was checked. But those who died by the plague were 14,700, besides those who died on account of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting, for the plague had been stopped. What a powerful portrayal of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. There in time and space, God checked the plague of sin. Calvary stopped the plague of sin. It's in your hands. If you will turn to the Savior, he will change your direction. You don't have to die. There is provision for you. Here's what I want you to remember and do today. You do not have to die in your sin. God has made a way for you to live. Turn from your sin. Give your life to Him today. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, We are really blessed and awesomely, you know, we're having a good time here. So happy to have our next guest join us. We have Carmine Sabia. He is a political and cultural commentator. Um, What website should I give out, Carmine? Welcome to the show. Thefederalistpapers.org. He's the editor there. Okay. So I go by what Demetrius puts in the thing. So you gotta you gotta hit your friend up and let him know he's not putting that in the descriptor there for, <laughs> for us to share on the show. Um, so Carmine, one of the things I saw on your Twitter feed today was this. It's it's kind of weird because in some ways a lot of Americans are like, oh, finally they've got some sense. Uh, sen- you see Facebook censoring some voices. Some of the voices are on the right side of the political spectrum. And some of them, like Louis Farrakhan, he's never been a Republican or anything like that. Yet that's the characterization that's being put on him. What's your take on all of this? First of all, hilarious that they're calling Louis Farrakhan a far-right extremist. Uh, I think Maxine Waters would take exception to that. Um, but I tell you... And I said this to somebody who was on my page. They said, these people still have freedom of speech. And that argument is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp, or whatever they call that, Snapchat, whatever these kids got today, that's the new public square. And so if you don't have free speech on those platforms, you're essentially silenced. 
you essentially don't have free speech. And I think when a tech company has gotten to the point where they can decide whose ideas can be heard and whose cannot, I'm not a fan of government regulation, but you're, you're in that area where it looks like, you know, we might need some government regulation here. Okay, so Carmine, I remember going on, um, it's a really popular radio show in D.C., and the host is a dyed-in-the-wool Republican, older gentleman, so he's been on the radio a long time, and he and I got into a dust-up over this because I said something similar. I said, you know, we need regulation because Facebook and, you know, Twitter, they're, they're so ubiquitous now for news that if you can't be on those because you have unpopular opinions – It means that you've been effectively silenced and your rights have been taken away. And he said, well, you're a radio host, right? So you want uh, regulation over the radio industry, which talk radio is primarily a right-leaning enterprise. There are leftist talk hosts who are, you know, popular, but they have very small market share in comparison to Republicans. And that is by choice. Leftist shows that talk leftist politics on radio don't survive. They can't get advertisers. But right-leaning shows not only get advertisers but have, you know, staying power. I mean, major staying power for little hosts to, to the big, big dogs and, you know, the, the biggest stars ever. So what do you think about that position that if we have regulation on, on the online social media that eventually that will come into radio? I mean, but you know, there is some regulation on radio. There is radio is not unregulated. Television is not unregulated. None of these platforms is unregulated. The only one that's unregulated is the internet. You know, you do have regulations. There are things you cannot say. Okay, there are things you cannot say. There's equal time laws that that can go into effect too. Um, so I mean, you know, regulation on the radio, sure. I mean, I think it's okay. There, like I said, there's already regulation. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm in the unfamiliar position here of arguing for regulation. Um, mm. <laughs> Me too. I understand, I, I understand the point he's making, but not, all right, let's put it to a different way. John and Joe, who work at the corner store, nobody's given them a radio show. Nobody's giving them a television show. I can have a podcast and have, a, you know, listeners can do a radio show. You know, I, I reach millions of people every day with my writing. You do the same on radio. When we're the minority, we're the minority. People don't have that reach. And so, you know, John and Joe, they can't do that. They can have a Facebook page. They can have a Twitter. It is literally the public square of our generation. So I think it's a, it's a, you can't compare it. Not everybody can have a radio, but everybody can have a Facebook page. So it, it's yeah, really not I, comparable. Yeah, I, I, I do. I get what you're saying, and I, I kind of hold the same position. The reason there's there's another thing about so on right leaning radio. It's not an echo chamber in which there are no opposing voices. So, you know, I have leftists on this show, Democrats, um, libertarians. I have them on this show, and most radio programs whether they're center-right to all the way to the right, usually have some of the opposing voices and viewpoints on the program. There is a huge difference in that than the kind of ability to clamp down via algorithms on uh, on Facebook and Twitter. They they don't need to say, we're going to have this 
three people on here and kind of make a, a choice mentally, they can program an algorithm to say every instance of this word, like pro-life, we I will see limit it every day. Yeah, as a, yeah. As an editor, I see it every day. Yeah, I mean, it, I notice on Facebook if I put a pro-life post up, three hundred, the engagement is literally three hundred and eighty-three people. Yeah, you or see very quickly, right? You see very quickly, which what what words are being censored? Well, and and I've even tried getting around the primary, you know, the the bigger buzzwords like pro-life, abortion, things like that. If I just type in interesting story, it still gets clamped down because they're also the algorithm combs the entire post, the actual title of the piece and the linked article. It combs all of that as well. So there's no way for me to get around the algorithm. And it is I think the thing that, that about the algorithm that really drives me the craziest, Carmine, is that. The algorithm is working 24 hours a day, you know, every day. It's working. Another one you'll find out uh, is uh, you can't put mainstream media in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't don't type that out anymore because I noticed it was clamping down on my engagement. But that thing is going all the time. If I'm posting in the middle of the night because I'm, you know, got insomnia, it's it's there. I can't escape it. And the person who programmed it doesn't even have to monitor it after they said it started. There's nothing Correct. like that in radio that we can use to to censor out um, leftist speech or thought the way that they're doing to people on the right. Correct, and and in and in the place where it's most effective, because in the place where it's most effective is Twitter, is Facebook. That's the place where it's most effective. And I'll tell you the truth: people complain about Twitter a lot, but Twitter clamps down a lot less than Facebook does. Oh, how can Facebook you tell? Is literally, like Big Brother. Mm, I think it's probably because they're just so much bigger, and and I, you know, I hate to be. I'm not trying to be insulting, but I'm just uh, based observationally and anecdotally, Carmine. I think the reason why Facebook would be so much worse is because of the nature of the founder of Facebook, the fact that he's such a command and control person, and Jack for for all the things about him that I don't like that he does on Twitter. He's much more of a human being than Mark Zuckerberg is. They treat yeah. their businesses differently. The, their face their face and outlook towards their companies is different. Facebook aims to take over the whole world where, where Twitter is kind of like a little, you know, bunking, bucking pony having fun in one area. And its growth True. is actually limited by Facebook. Like Facebook has done everything they can to keep it from getting even bigger. Well, even when they... Uh... When they stop, when your your tweets, you still automatically go to Facebook, and they killed that. Hmm. You should be able to program that so that your Facebook post would go to Twitter, and your Twitter would go to Facebook, and then they killed that. Yeah, I, I still love that because you only had to post once. <laughs> Correct. Right. Correct. Um, but no, the algorithm thing is a real thing, and it's it's a it's a very it's the, it's the topic of our time. I think eventually. They're going to be regulated, and they could have avoided it, Stacey. They could have avoided it, but they refused. They refused. They're willing to die in their principles. You know I mean? They refused to cave in on allowing free speech, allowing people to, to hold different beliefs in them. And it said you have to, as a, as a publisher, an editor, um, for a conservative website, you got to think every time you post a story that you got to think harder than other people have to think. 
because it won't make them angry, you know, it's done. So let's talk about the list of people who were banned. Uh, Facebook banned Louis Farrakhan, Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, which I'm trying to remember. I thought Alex Jones had already been deplatformed by everybody, but maybe not Facebook. Who knows? Milo Yiannopoulos. I, so too. I think maybe he might have just been taken off of WhatsApp because he's already off of Facebook. Ah, okay. Facebook All right. Facebook owns WhatsApp, so it's you know, sure. one of the same. Yeah, and then Laura Loomer, Paul Nealon. And Paul Nealon is a he, – he was a – Senatorial candidate? No, House candidate. Oh, he ran against Paul Ryan. I remember meeting him at, a, at an event here locally in St. Louis. Paul Joseph Watson and Infowars, the actual site's Facebook account. So those are the ones who've been booted off. Correct. I think I'm just Correct. I'm I'm looking at these people and I'm reminded of that that you know it's an old maxim. I don't know who said it or whatever, but they came. They first they came for this group and. And I said, yeah. oh, that's not me. And it's by the time they, phone. yeah, yeah. Then they come for me. Well, there's no one else, no one left. So, you know, obviously you, you're you gone too. Is it, so you're at the Federalist Papers. So this this is the heart and soul of, of, it's like the backbone of everything that our founders did. You can find out about it and learn about it in the Federalist Papers. So few people actually read them. But isn't there something of a connection between... <laughs> <laughs> the site that you run and this particular story because it's so anti like it's it's anti first amendment. Yeah. It's and it's frightening. It's frightening, but there is obviously obviously there's a connection. I think, you know, people cheer when the people that they're against get by the way, the Baltimore mayor just resigned. Um people get they cheer when their enemy gets things, you know, until it's them. And, you know, and that's, like you said, the First Amendment here, I think. And people try and say, well, Facebook's a private company. The First Amendment doesn't apply. I get it. They do. But they've gone, in my opinion, beyond the private company. They are much more than a private company. And, and with that comes the responsibility. Hmm. It does. And they're really just going to, you know, they're just going to refuse to play ball. They have to well. be forced into it. Yeah, and we see a little bit of this the, the at the very tip of the, like the leading edge of this is the European nations with their GDPR regulations and they're fining Facebook and they're fining Google. And they're really much more advanced in, in the kind of regulating these online social media giants. And I think they're much more prone to do it just because they're American companies. If these were huge European companies, they would be much more hesitant to kind of go up against them the way that they have. I think it's good. It's good to see what they think is appropriate we'll have to have different laws and regulations here because of our constitution but something needs to be done so you mentioned um well actually facebook characterized them as dangerous in their ban alex jones has already responded but i want to i want to kind of circle around to what you just said there about the baltimore mayor the story there listeners is that this woman wrote a book and sold eight hundred thousand copies of it the mayor of baltimore she sold eight hundred thousand copies of this book that she wrote personally enriching herself to government agencies and public school districts. That's a conflict of interest. That's <laughs> There's a bunch of laws she broke there. And now you're saying she's just now resigned. She has resigned, yeah. That just broke. Well, yeah. But I think one of the things that is super important about what she's doing is that she got away with it. Meanwhile, Baltimore is one of the most dangerous cities in the entire country. Well, you notice it's always Democrat mayors. Look at Kwame Kilpatrick in, in 
in Detroit. What, that was the worst of the worst. But it's always Democrat mayors with these scams. Well, sure. I mean, but I always say scratch a scandal, find a Democrat. That's one of my favorite things to say. What is it? I didn't hear that. Scratch a scandal, find a Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I always say. <laughs> it's the truth, man. It's, it's absolute insanity. And I, you know, this would be like a top story on almost any, you know, mainstream media, you know, but it's a Democrat mayor, so mainstream media buries it. Well, I think it's a great opportunity for us on the right to connect together this idea that um, a lot of places that are cities, major cities, are run by Democrats. And the people who live there suffer from higher levels of poverty. Uh, you know, the, the major diseases that plague Americans are found in higher concentrations there. Um, they have lower economic outlooks. And the results that they get from their public services are often substandard. And that is due to the leadership they have there that they continue to vote in decade after decade. And it's, it's Democrats. Very few major cities in this country are run by Republicans. And so I, I think Correct. people have to make a decision. Do you want to have an allegiance to a party um, or do you want to have better living standards, a better quality of life? And this, this mayor enriching herself and not fixing problems that Baltimore has had for decades is just another example. Democrats do not rule well. Never have. Never, I'm from North New Jersey. I don't. There was never a Republican in my lifetime in that city that was a mayor. Um, I could probably stretch back to my mother, may she rest in peace, her lifetime. I don't think they ever had a Republican mayor. So, you know, and, and Newark's always been, not always been, but I mean, in the past, geez, near 100 years, he's been successful. Mm. You know, so it's it, as you look at any major city that is, is poverty stricken, you're going to find a Democrat mayor. Well, you know, we have and, and a couple and, of options there. Just vote for somebody else. Uh, try it. Give it a try. What have you got to lose, as the president always says? TheFederalistPapers.org the is, is your website, Carmine. Thank you so much for yes, joining sir. us today. Political and cultural commentator. Talk to you again Thank soon. Thank you. All right. We'll be back with more. We'll take your calls. Um, give us a ring at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Be right back. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. I've spent decades considering what it takes for a team to rise to the top. I've learned that talent alone isn't enough. Through experience, both successes and failures, I've learned what generally separates high-achieving teams from those that fail to produce. I've said this before, any business, nonprofit, church, or other type of organization can benefit by applying these four simple yet highly effective principles I've been sharing. They are based on the letters in the acronym SOUL. Those principles are selflessness, ownership, unity, and larger purpose. Find your soul and you'll create something bigger and longer lasting than you've ever imagined. 
Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. Stephen Black. Because my molester spoke to me while being molested that I had somehow caused this, I had a deep sense of darkness and shame. The thing that I see in others is ministering to them, this deep sense of shame. And that's what brings about healing once that is discovered that their innocence was taken from them. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Chris Brooks. A lot of parents raised their kids in church and did, in kind of scare quotes, everything right. Mm -hmm. And now they're looking at junior or sis or their son or daughter who's uh, walked away from the faith and said, your God is not my God. And they're wanting to know what do we do to reach them. Tuned in to Equipped, weekday afternoons at 12 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Fox on Justice. Sniffing out crime may not always be legal. Police in East Moline, Illinois, showed up outside the apartment of Derek Bonilla one day in 2015. They were there because of a tip that Bonilla was selling drugs. They came with a drug-sniffing dog. The dog did its job well, but as for the human officers, perhaps not. Just outside Bonilla's apartment, the dog sniffed out the presence of drugs coming from the bottom of the door. Police returned with a search warrant, and Bonilla was charged with possession of cannabis with intent to deliver. But Bonilla sniffed out a defense. He argued that having a drug-sniffing dog just outside his home without a search warrant was a violation of his Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable search and seizure. And so even though they later got a warrant and found drugs, the results of the sniff test should not be admissible. The Illinois Supreme Court agreed, and the case is now being appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Why not call for Mueller to testify? Because I'm not going to do any more. Enough already. It's over. If there's any dispute about a conversation, then he'll come. But I'm not going to retry the case. I'm not calling McCann. It is over. That was Senator Lindsey Graham, and I'm here for angry Senator Lindsey Graham. He cut up a little bit in the testimony yesterday as well. Um, I got to say, I I need him to come out stronger earlier than that, though. Um, When Senator Maisie Hirono was just, she was just lambasting, just tearing into the president and A.G. Barr to their faces and... The the Republicans just sat there and let it go on for a while. So, you know, hey, look, you know what? Um, Get up faster than that. Don't don't allow it. She said things about the president that no sitting senator should say. They're part of the same government. It's just I love seeing it when the same people who say that the president is too rough in his language, then they talk about him. I mean, literally like a dog. It was terrible. Um, Let's go to the phones. It's. Today's Thursday. I'm like losing track of what day it is. That's what happens when you go out of town. I just want to let you know. So disorienting. Anyway, Dave in West Virginia. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. You're welcome. Hey, Good what's your comment? Old Joe, old Uncle Joe is not so sharp. Has he never heard anything that Gordon Chang has been talking about China? 
Ah, yeah, Gordon yeah, yeah. Chang is an Gordon Chang is an expert on uh, on China, and apparently his old uncle Bill hasn't heard about it. <laughs> No, apparently he hasn't. Thanks for calling the show. I, I, I think it's it's not just Gordon Chang. There are so many great experts writing about the China threat, um, and it's not just our intellectual property. It's their booming, uh, you know, birth tourism business where they get their children the right to children from well-to-do families. They get them the right to attend uh, public schools and universities here in this country with in-state tuition because. They're American citizens. They bring them here, bring the pregnant women here to have birth and become Americans. There's also the stealing and theft of our intellectual property through us having factories there, flooding the market with cheap copycats of our ideas. Um, they learn how to do stuff from us. They also place a lot of their their government people uh, in the role of venture capitalists, and they fund a lot of innovative new emerging technologies in Silicon Valley to steal, again, the intellectual property in exchange for venture, venture capital funding. Um, they also send students who are Chinese nationals. They pay the out-of-state tuition at our top universities. They get in there and they go into the research departments and they literally cannibalize every. They learn everything they can, take everything they can, send it right back to China and that helps the Chinese to learn how to do what we do. It's it's like watching a big bully snatch the lunch off of a, a you know a kindergartner. Um, it, it's ridiculous. Why do we allow that? I could see if we were one of those tiny countries that just didn't have any way of defending itself and we didn't know what was going on. Or but we know all of this stuff. I'm not telling you things that we just learned, fresh new things that nobody's ever heard of before. This is all old hat that's been going on for decades. Um, so it, let's go to the phones again. Joe in Arkansas. Thanks for calling the show. Yeah, thank you, Stacey. What I wanted to comment on was the issue of the big tech companies being able to do whatever they wanted because they're private companies. And I once read a book by a Colorado farmer. It was called War Central Planning Incorporation. And he said that in the early days of this country, it was not so easy to start a corporation. He said that what you had to do was you had to go before Congress and convince Congress that your corporation was going to act in the public interest. And if you did, if you were successful, they would give you a corporate charter that was good for 20 years. And then at the end of the 20 years, again, you had to go before Congress again. And if you were successful again in convincing Congress that your corporation was serving the public interest, then they would renew your charter for another 20 years. But they did not intend that corporations could do just anything they wanted. And so I think it's in the tradition of America, the real tradition of America and the intention of the founding fathers, that corporations would be regulated by the government so that they would act in the public interest. That's an interesting point. Um, so you're talking about old school days. Nowadays, anyone with a weird idea, you can start a sock company, just, you know, go down to the, you don't you know, actually have to have the LLC right away. Um that's an interesting perspective. Thank you, Joe. I, that is that is fascinating. Um, wow. So call lines are still open, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037 if you want to join us. You know what? So let's talk about this Alabama Democrat. This is a big story, and, and the reason is because I'm finding it harder and harder to stomach the unmasking of the Democrats on the issue of abortion. I, I can remember years past um, that I thought, you know, 
things would be so much easier for us in the pro-life movement if people who support abortion would just tell the truth about what they really believe. If Planned Parenthood would stop lying about what they do, if people who support abortion would just say, we know it's a baby, we're fine with killing it, now what? I've said that many times, but now that they're doing it, I regret wishing for that. And the reason is because it's so vile and so disgusting and so hard to stomach listening to people actually tell us what they really believe. Like you, I always think to myself when they get to a place where they have to tell the truth about it, they'll change their minds. They won't believe that. They won't, they won't push this. That's what I always thought. That's not the case. This guy is an Alabama Democrat. He's talking about the bill that uh, Alabama just passed. Um, you know, it's, it's an anti-abortion bill. It's a pro-life bill. And it's a good one. And he just came out and people are milling around in the video. People are milling around him, uh, you know, in, in the floor there in the legislative body. And he's just talking away right into the microphone. Like the same way if I was out someplace in the public and I was talking about my grocery list or, you know, picking up one of the kids from school, you know, that kind of matter of fact way, because you're talking about something that's benign and not a big deal. That's how he's talking about killing babies, either while they're unborn or killing kids through the electric chair because they're criminals, because that those are the only two options. Listen to this, guys. Number one. All I'm saying to you, it all be a woman's choice. I'm not about to be as a male tell a woman what to do with her body. She has a right to make that decision herself. To rape the incest. Some kids are unwanted. So you kill them now, kill them later. You, you bring them in the world unwanted, unloved. Then you send them to the electric chair. So you kill them now, I'll kill them later. But the bottom line is that I think we should be making this decision. So he says he's a man and he can't make decisions about a woman's body. He says the kids are unwanted. So the ones who are being aborted are unwanted. Now, first of all, a huge percentage of the abortions that happen in this country are to women who already have children. And I, I've told, I've many times mentioned before, anecdotally speaking about the friends that we have who have five kids. And obviously these are middle-class families and, you know, But we also know, you know, some families who aren't exactly flush with cash, who have more than three kids and they're making it just fine, too. So it's this this is a a lie from the pit of hell that if you want to have a kid, you need to be able to commit yourself to spending a couple hundred thousand on that kid from birth to the end of college, you know, or four hundred and fifty thousand. I don't remember what the number is now. That's not true. In America, the choices that you make determine how much you have to spend on a kid. And if you live in a major metropolitan area and you decide you don't want your kid to go to public school and you're not going to homeschool and you're going to pay private school tuition and you have three or four kids, that's going to take a bite out of your income. Um, unless you're, one of you is working at that, that private school or that Christian school, you're, that's going to take a bite out of your income. But you can also choose to homeschool. People can choose to live outside of the metro area. We know couples who, after living in the city, and I shouldn't say in the city, in the metro area, so within the higher cost of living portion, they decided to move to lower cost of living options further out, put their kids in public school out there where you can still say Merry Christmas and uh, they still say the Pledge of Allegiance at the beginning of the day. And, you know, a, a teacher, if your kid says, I'm scared, will you pray with me? The teacher will pray. with You, you know, these are these schools still exist. These towns still exist. 
They've taken pay cuts, but they also were able to buy much more affordable homes and their cost of living went down. The idea that he's trying to get you to accept is that every single child who's aborted in this country, 958,000 for the last reportable year, that they were all single moms, rape and incest victims, um, you know, people who didn't have any other option. The kids were completely unwanted. Sometimes the babies are wanted, but it's the husband or boyfriend who's telling the woman, you get, you get that abortion or I'm leaving or you get that abortion or you, you know what's going to happen to you. Sometimes the situation is that the mom wants the baby, but they've been told they don't have any other choice. So his mantra is just another way of Democrats. First of all, they're unmasking themselves. Look, if we don't kill these babies in the womb, they're going to grow up to be criminals. Are they? You know, I heard, uh, and, and I think I shared it on the show, it was uh, Rand Paul. Senator Rand Paul was talking about how many geniuses we abort every year. I think it was like 4,500 geniuses a year. How many um, engineers? Because obviously with all the statistics that we keep as a nation, we're able to tell out of every 1,000 babies or 100,000 babies that are born, how many of them will turn out to be based on historical data. You know, you can, you can plug data into Excel spreadsheets then you can create a chart with that data and then you can have a start point and an end point 10 years from now and you can tell the Excel spreadsheet to extrapolate the data. In other words, use the data from the previous 10 years or whatever, how many years you plug in. The more years you plug in, the more accurate the extrapolations are and you can tell it to stop extrapolating however many years you want to in the future. And it will tell you, using probability, what the likelihood is, how many of this or that, how many breaks. The reason I know how to do this is because that's what I was taught in technical school for the Air Force, how to collect data and sort it and then plug it in and extrapolate for trends. So we would know what the likelihood is of a a fleet of 30 aircraft having 95% of them being operationally ready 95% of the time, let's just say, just for example. And then if they give me different parameters, I would plug in more data and usually into an access database and then import it into Excel and then create the charts and spreadsheets. And then I'd have to actually kind of read it and analyze it and then write up reports that would go with it and then turn that in or go give the presentation to the the commander or whoever wanted the information. And so we know that in addition to what he's calling all these unwanted babies, because invariably there are some babies who are aborted because they're unwanted. But there are so many others in that mix who are being aborted because they believe these lies that are being peddled by people like this man. And notice I'm not saying his name. He gets no fame from me for being this kind of person. His evil and depravity don't get him a mention on this show. And you can find the link to it, you know, uh, online. It's Alabama Democrat on fetuses. Kill them now or you can kill them later. Uh, so we have time here for one quick phone call, maybe, maybe two. Milton in Michigan. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can. I just have one comment to make about what Joe Biden said about China. And in one way, it's an insult to China for him to say that. Mm-hmm. In another way, they probably love to hear him say that. The president of the United States is supposed to be the commander in chief of the military forces. I would love to be a commander and have the enemy think I'm too stupid to do anything. 
Mm-hmm. That's a recipe for defeat. That, that's my comment on what he said. It's, it's ignorance. Thank you. And, and it's a comment well made, Milton. Thank you for, for sharing that. You know, from the perspective of the Chinese, because they have got their hooks and tentacles into so much of American culture, they know what all of our problems are. They know what all of our strengths are. And they are really good at capitalizing on both. They're the ones who were behind the fentanyl, uh, you know, the rush of fentanyl into Mexico that was being pumped into our country. They're responsible for partially for lowering the life expectancy of Americans because so many Americans died due to fentanyl and heroin overdoses and all of that. I mean, but they're not a, they're not a threat to us in what universe? You know, if y'all watch the Marvel Universe stuff in what in what universe? We know there's only one universe, but still. <laughs> All right. Colette in Kentucky. Hey, you have quick, quick time to make a comment. Welcome to the show. Hello. Um, I mainly just wanted to comment about abortion. I know you were talking about the different um, laws that different states have put in place with abortion. And I just wanted to say that Kentucky has some pretty stringent laws on abortion. And the abortion clinic in Louisville doesn't listen to any of them. They do what they want anyways, and there are no consequences. These women can go in at 22 weeks and have an abortion. And so I guess I just feel hopeless about the laws at this point. Like, even if we have a pro-life governor or whoever that makes laws, they're just not being listened to, and it's just like open defiance, and no one's doing anything about it. Well, you know what, Colette, thank you for calling and talking about that. And what I've learned here in St. Louis from our Pregnancy Resource Center is that it has to be us. It's the church. It's all of us banding together, us Protestants with the Catholics, and you get out there at that that, that Planned Parenthood that you were just talking about, and y'all sit there and you pray every day. You set up schedules, and every day that you're there, you decrease the number of women who actually make that choice to have an abortion. That is proven. It's trackable literature. I'll actually give it to you in the next, uh, when, when we get back. Look, If you're leaving us now, God bless you from the heartland. If you're sticking around, onenewsnow.com news and information is up next. StaceyOnTheRight.com. God bless. God bless.